Today is uh, 50 days after Easter, and so this is the Feast of Pentecost today. And so we're focusing on the coming of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit today. Um, We're looking at three passages from the New Testament, and I'm just going to read the first one, and then we'll read the other ones uh, as we come to them in the sermon. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to your right hand, he poured out your Holy Spirit as he had promised, the great comforter, so that he could return to us and dwell with us by his spirit and speak to us by your word and spirit. So speak to us now, O God, even as we have heard your word read. May you empower its preaching to build us up in our most holy faith, to be more aware of your work in us by your spirit, that we may indeed be a spirit-filled people who exhibit your holy life and your holy character and your holy fellowship in our lives together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So maybe you've heard of a, of a three-point sermon from one passage of Scripture. This morning you're going to hear a one-point sermon from three passages of Scripture. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, well, maybe you've heard that there's four commands related to the Spirit of the New Testament, okay? Be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, Uh, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. And often when we think about those uh, commands, we think about them often in very individualistic ways. Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit? Am I not quenching the Spirit? You know, I used to be involved many years ago with a parachurch ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And that became problematic after 9-11, so now they're called Crew. And uh, they had the, the, the golden booklet, the four spiritual laws, but they also had the blue booklet. Have you made the dis- wonderful discovery of the spirit-filled life? And again, it was all about you as, it, you know, we, we talk in, in Bible scholars, we'll talk about the you plural, right? Ye, okay? Well, in this, in this case, it's about the you singular, okay? Have you uh, made the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life? But as I was looking through these passages, you know, uh, working on a sermon for Pentecost Sunday, looking at these commands, something really jumped out at me, and that is that these, these discussions about the Spirit are about the church 
And it's about, is there a church that is filled with the Spirit and exhibiting that life together that shows that they are filled with the Spirit? Is there a church that's walking in the Spirit and therefore they're walking together in gentleness, in faithfulness, in love toward one another? So even as as much as it may be important for us to individually, of course, be walking in dependence upon the Spirit, When we look at these passages today, what I'm hoping will jump out at you as it did to me is that this is about our corporate life together as the people of God. So here we see the first one in 1 Corinthians 12 where we have this famous verse that says we are baptized with the Spirit. Now some Bible scholars, they focus on the preposition. Are are we baptized in the Spirit? Are we baptized by the Spirit? The the preposition that Paul uses in the original language can have either of those meanings. And, And like most translations, it probably is almost certainly referring that we are baptized with the Spirit. Sometimes scholars get caught up on, is this referring to the sacrament of baptism? What does this have to do with our, our, our sacramental baptism? Um, or is this just some kind of dry baptism that Paul is referring to that has nothing to do with the sacrament? Well, certainly our Reformed forebearers thought it had something to do with the sacrament of baptism because they used this verse um, as a proof text for their discussion of baptism, for instance, in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 28. But what I want you to do is not so much to focus on the verb, baptize, the preposition, in, um, or the sacrament. What I want you to focus on is the pronoun. I want you to focus on the pronoun, the indefinite pronouns. So here we see it. Um... Actually, it's, it's not on here, I don't think. I think it got cut off. So, I'm going to read it for you, because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. Yeah. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one body we were all baptized into one body. For in one spirit, sorry, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or fees, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So that's what I want you to notice. All, all, all. Okay? We... We tend to think, well, or, or, and there's actual Christians who will teach this, you know, that there's a certain class of Christian that is baptized with the Spirit, and there's another class of Christian that isn't baptized with the Spirit, that this is some sort of secondary thing that maybe if you really want to be dedicated to God, you'll be baptized with the Spirit, but it's okay if you're not. You can just be one of these carnal Christians that doesn't really have the full experience, okay? That's not what Paul says at all. Paul says that we were all, okay, if you are claiming to be a Christian, if you are claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, Paul is saying you are baptized in the Spirit. And his point is, of course, is that because we have all had this experience of the Spirit, we all have something to contribute to our life together as the people of God. 
Okay, Dr. Clowney, the first president of Westminster Seminary, he used to put it like this. Everyone who has the gift of the Spirit is given gifts of the Spirit. Everyone who has the gift of the Spirit is given gifts of the Spirit. Okay? It doesn't just say that the pastor is baptized with the Spirit and has the gift of teaching, though he certainly needs the Spirit to be able to do that in a Christ-like way. It doesn't just say that the elders have the Spirit and have gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't just say that the deacons have gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't just say that the, that the particularly you know, smart and able and gifted people, right? Paul talks in this passage you know, not just about hands and heads, but, but even about you know, parts that we wouldn't necessarily want to see publicly. Okay? Even they have a part to contribute. Okay? Maybe in teaching us that we have a long way to go in our spiritual growth. So the point is, is that Again, if you are claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, you have some kind of gift, some kind of way that you are called to serve, okay? And not necessarily everybody's called to stand up here and to speak the word of God. Not necessarily everybody's called to stand over here and and lead us in music. But you all have ways that you can contribute. You all all ways that you are expected to contribute to our life together as God's people, you know, again, God has set things up so that there isn't just, you know, one person. Because that, that could be, lead to a lot of pride, right? Uh, whereas if the Spirit is distributed among all of God's people, and that was something that Moses prayed for, right? The, the 70 elders were given the Spirit, and he prayed, would that all of God's people had the Spirit. Well, we live in the age where that's now true. And so... You need to think about what are you called to do right now, right here in this place. And, and, you know, again, this is a modern problem where it's like, I need to do this spiritual inventory. What are my gifts? Let me tell you something. Maybe you just need to see where is there a need? Where is there a need? Can I meet that need? Or can I work with somebody else to help meet that need? Whether it's sweeping the floors or or, you know, getting a Bible uh, study organized, or dropping off a meal for someone who's just had a baby uh, because things are pretty tough for them right now and they're weak, okay? Where am I called to meet a need as part of the people of God? Secondly, we move to Galatians chapter 5. Let me start here in verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then skipping down to verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, if you know the book of Galatians at all, you know that it's addressing a serious problem in the church a serious division that was happening in the church that they had to call a whole council at Jerusalem for in Acts 15 over the role of the Mosaic law in the the new covenant people of God, especially the Gentiles, right, the non-Jews. And basically what these agitators were saying, that's what Paul calls them, is that if if you wanted to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew, 
Okay, you had to come under the yoke of the Old Testament law if you wanted to be a disciple of Israel's Messiah. And Paul's saying that that's a heresy, and there's all kinds of ways he addresses it. Okay, um, but I want us to, you know, he gets to kind of the practical outworking of it here in the last two chapters of the letter, and I want us to focus on. Um, walking in the Spirit, verse 16, keeping in step with the Spirit, verse 25, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want, you, I want to set the context for you for this, so let's look back at verse 13. You are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. <clears throat> now, now, think about this with me for a second. What is this opportunity of the flesh? We, think, we tend to think of opportunity of the flesh as like, you know, sinful sexual activity, right? And, th- and Paul does uh, talk about that here when he talks about the works of the flesh. But again, pay attention. The opportunity for the flesh that's discussed here is the failure to love and serve your fellow Christians. It is the failure, or to put it even more bluntly, biting and devouring one another, okay? This nitpicking about whether you needed to be circumcised or whether you needed to follow the Old Testament calendar, okay? This misunderstanding of the covenantal shift that had happened, it was causing God's people to devour each other, to act in this animal, beastly-like way Seemingly upholding the word of God and yet actually failing to understand the great transformation that had happened with the coming of Christ. You know, God sent forth his son, born under the law, born of a woman, Galatians chapter 4. Then he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. It's a whole new reality that we as the New Testament people of God have. And... What he is saying is, the command is, walk by the Spirit, and the way that you're going to show whether you're walking in the Spirit is not whether you have four-hour quiet times, okay? It's not whether you can lead the most, you know, thorough, excellent Bible studies. It's not whether you sing the greatest four-part harmony of the great hymns and psalms of the church, The way that you exhibit whether you're walking in the Spirit is, are you serving other people who claim the name of Christ? Are you helping them? Are you doing good to them? Are you building them up so that they can walk more faithfully as the people of God? Think about these works of the flesh. Think about these works of the flesh here in verse Uh, 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, right? Those are the kinds of things that we tend to think it refers to, and that's true. We need to think about that. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, You know, we listen to certain voices in the media and we think, well, that's just the way you need to speak to these people that we disagree with politically. You know, you got to be one of these shock jocks that really get your point across. Well, Paul is condemning 
envy, dissensions. You know, again, it's not just, it's not just sensuality that are the works of the flesh. But, but do I know how to speak to you in a kind, calm way? Even when we may disagree about things. Even when we may, we may think the church should be going in this direction, but I think maybe it should be going in this direction. Can I discuss that with you in a calm fashion where we both have Christ as our goal, where we both have the, the, the desire to manifest the life of the Spirit as our goal despite our disagreements? <clears throat> And Paul says that this is no light matter, right? Look what he says. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it's serious business whether we are walking in the Spirit and therefore walking in servant-like love toward each other, or we're not. It's serious business. Think about the fruit of the Spirit, right? You probably, this is probably one of those verses you memorized, and I hope you have, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But again, think about that. Kindness. Does God need me to be kind toward Him? No. I need God to be kind toward me. What I need kindness for is the way that I interact with you. Gentleness. Does God need me to be gentle with him? No, I need, I need God to be gentle with me. And then I need to imitate his gentleness in the way that I interact with you, in the way that I interact with my family, in the way that I interact with my neighbors. Maybe I've said this to you before, and if I haven't said it before, you'll probably hear me say it again. But the way God has created us and redeemed us is that we work out our relationship with God in the nexus or the matrix of relationships with others. Okay? So we shouldn't, we shouldn't view people as this distraction from God. Okay. Yes, there are times that we go into our prayer closet and we focus upon God. There are times when we gather here together. But again, we do that corporately uh, and, we, and we focus especially upon God. <clears throat> but, you know, you're not just the church here when you're gathered. You're also the church when you're scattered into your callings, into your communities, into your relationships throughout the week. And it is inv- those, very, um, those very encounters, those very day-to-day activities that you are living out your relationship with God in dependence upon the Spirit to bless them, to, to nurture them, to work through disagreements, to work through trials together, to bear one another's burdens, as Paul will say in the next chapter of Galatians. And so walking in the Spirit, again, it's not that, I'm not saying we shouldn't have personal devotions. I'm not saying we shouldn't have prayer time. What I'm saying is, is pay attention to what Paul says is walking in the Spirit. And what it means is, is walking in servant fellowship with each other as the people 
of God. <clears throat> and then finally, so we've looked at being baptized with the Spirit. We've looked at walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now we're going to look at being filled with the Spirit. That takes us to the book of Ephesians. And this is on page 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then as you know, he goes on to talk about you know, wives submitting to husbands, children submitting to their parents, slaves submitting to their masters. <clears throat> now, this one's going to take a little bit of an English lesson. <clears throat> so, kids, I want you to pay attention. I'm going to remind you of some of your grammar. Paul, in verse 18, gives an imperative, one imperative, and then he gives four dependent clauses that explain what the imperative is. Okay? So the imperative, be filled with the Spirit, okay? Here's how you know if you're, if you're being filled with the Spirit. Singing to one another, speaking to one another, submitting to one another. Uh, let's see, what else? Addressing one another, giving thanks always. Now notice that one of those is kind of directed dire- directly to God, but three of them are directed to each other. Okay, again, Filled with the Spirit, it's not so much about that you run off to a monastery and you, you, know, you, you sing through the Psalter you know, seven times a day. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not saying there isn't, uh, there's th- things to learn there about daily prayer and things like that. <clears throat> but again, what I'm saying is, is that the, the purpose of the Spirit's coming upon us is so that we can, you know... I mean, again, think about it. Adam and Eve blaming his wife for what happened. Cain and Abel slaying each other out of jealousy. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 being attracted to the the worldly women and joining themselves to them in unlawful ways. Okay, Sin messes up human relationships. Christ has come to put us back together and he gives us his spirit so that we can begin to do that in in substantial ways in this life. Again, the the last clause here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that introduces us to the the household code at the end of chapter 5 and the the first half of chapter 6, which again, your pastor has has, written a book on this, but, but notice there also that one of the things that makes Paul's code distinct, because the, the pagans, the Romans had these codes as well. But what was interesting in the, in the Roman world is that it was only the inferiors that were addressed. It was only the wives. It was only the slaves. It was only the children. Okay? The people in power, they just had power. What Paul does is, yes, he addresses the people who have less authority, less responsibility, but he also addresses the superiors. Okay, I'm using the language of the larger catechism, by the way. Just look up uh, the fifth commandment. What are the duties of superiors to inferiors, etc.? Okay? So he addresses those with greater responsibility, the husbands, the masters, 
the fathers and saying they need to live as those who are filled with the Spirit. They need to live, you know, they have a way of, of serving the people that they have responsibility uh, with and over. <clears throat> so what I hope you're seeing from all of this is that, you know, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is not some mystical experience where you have tingles, you know, warm fuzzies about God, okay? I'm not saying there isn't a place sometimes to have warm fuzzies about God, okay? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not an anti-emotional guy, okay? Or that you hear God being filled with the Spirit means you hear God whispering, hey, I really love you. You know, you're doing a great job, okay? You know, you, you've got God's Word to tell you that. And by the Spirit, you need to believe that. Okay? He loves you. He has given you his spirit because he wants you to serve him. Okay? And he loves, he delights, even, the, even in the smallest steps that you're taking. You know, notice how it doesn't say running in the spirit. Right? It's walking in the spirit. And you know, sl- slow steps. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. Okay? <clears throat> but what I hope that you're noticing is that By the Spirit's power, we are fulfilling our various callings, callings as spouses, callings as parents, callings as workers, callings as managers, as business owners, callings as, you know, a whole vast variety of things, serving other people, especially serving our fellow Christians, Serving our fellow Christians. And I think it's important for us to recognize that, that that doesn't just mean our fellow Presbyterian Christians. Okay? You know, not only are you, th- you know, focus on the people of God that you see in the pew, you know, five rows behind you and six ahead of you, but also think about other Christians in this community that you can be serving, that you can be working with, that you can be a blessing Now, one thing I want you to realize also about this is that Paul, you know, when he, when, he, when he talks about being filled with the Spirit, it wasn't like he saw somebody pouring water in a cup one day and said, oh, wow, that, that cup's being filled. I should use that to talk about the Spirit. Okay? He's not making this up whole cloth. Earlier in the book, you know, maybe you remember that Ephesians 1 to 3 is kind of like the doctrinal portion, and Ephesians 4 to 6 is the practical portion. Well, earlier in the book, he said, well, I'm going to read it to you because I don't want you to think I'm making it up. Uh, This is Ephesians 2, verse 20. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus the being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay? So this is temple imagery because you know what happened? Exodus 40, they finished the tabernacle and what happened? The glory cloud filled the tabernacle. 1 Kings chapter 8, they finished the temple. What happened? The glory cloud filled the temple, showing that God was dwelling there. 
Well, what Paul is saying after he told you in chapter 2 that you are the temple in which God dwells by his spirit, now what he's saying in chapter 5 is, and you need, to, you need to demonstrate that you're those people. You need to show the world that you are the people that God dwells with by how you speak to one another, how you serve one another, how you submit to one another, that the glory cloud now doesn't dwell in an earthly buildings, but it dwells in living stones. That's where the word Livingston, by the way, comes from. Living stones that are being built into this temple in which God himself dwells. One little sidebar here, by the way. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay? You can't be silent in worship and claim to be a spirit-filled person. It doesn't say singing perfectly. Okay? It doesn't say singing perfectly. It doesn't necessarily say singing on pitch, although you should strive. It does say singing and making melody, so you should try to learn some things about those. Okay? And, and we, we focus on some of that in Sunday evenings here <clears throat> so that help you learn a little bit more. But... The point is, um, is that you need to open your mouth, okay? The Spirit is not just about everything that's going on in here, right? It starts here, but it has to work its way, way out in, in the way you speak, in the way you sing, in the way you use your hands, in, in, in what you're doing in your day-to-day life, as well as what you're doing on Sunday morning. You know, again, you're not just filled with the Spirit when you're the church gathered, you're filled with the Spirit when you're the church scattered in the various callings that God has placed upon you. We could put it this way, brothers and sisters, the wonderful discovery of the Spirit-filled life, right, the little blue booklet, biblically is by this power of the Spirit through faith in Christ showing ourselves to be the people among whom God dwells by the way that we treat each other in the church, in the home, in our workplace, in our community, in our society. Let me close with this. The primary purpose of the Spirit coming is to bring you into fellowship with God. But the God... Who, in whom you have been brought into fellowship is himself a community of persons that live in love with each other, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father desires to glorify the Son. The Spirit desires to come and glorify the Son. The Son wants to you know, share with you the knowledge of the Father by his Spirit, God made us social beings. It's not man good for man to be alone. Be fruitful and multiply. Sin has messed all of that up. So, you know, we point fingers at each other. We abuse each other. We, we, we attack and we kill each other with our words or with our weapons. Redemption is to bring about a new humanity, to restore us to the fellowship of God, by restoring people to fellowship with each other. 
So instead of biting and devouring one another and figuring out how can, I, how can I get one over on this person or how can I use them to my advantage, instead we're asking ourselves, what can I do for their advantage? What can I do to bless and build them up? Remember, the promise of the covenant is not, I will be your God and you will be my persons. The promise of the covenant is, I will be your God and you will be my people. My people who now are indwelt by the Spirit and are are able to to start to put to death their selfish desires that move them to want to use and abuse other people and instead start to live like our Savior, the ultimate Spirit-filled man, the ultimate Spirit-baptized man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ministry of the Spirit is not to divide, not to divide Jews from Gentiles, freed from slave, rich from poor, Calvinist from Arminian, truly reformed from barely reformed, homeschooler from Christian schooler. And if we're allowing these things to divide, we should not claim to be walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit or bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, This may prompt a question. Because the church is so divided, does that mean that the Spirit is absent? Not necessarily, but I also don't want to say, well, everything's A-OK. You know, as long as we're unified locally, everything's cool. We should be striving to see more of the manifestation of the Spirit. Again, not just working with those who are like-minded with us, but endeavoring to, to be in fellowship with everyone who claims the name of Christ. Everyone who is baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that may, that may cause us to have to maybe rethink some things. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that our, our convictions are wrong about certain issues, but we may need to realize that you know, there's some things that are the most important things, you know, like the deity of Christ and the inspiration of the Scriptures. And there's other things that may be on more of a secondary level that are important, but we're not necessarily going to allow them to uh, be divided from other Christians who may not agree with us on them. Because if we, if we don't, we might be grieving the Spirit, we might be quenching the Spirit. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we cannot simply have an individualistic concern about the Spirit's role in our individual lives. That, yes, there is a really important role for that. Jesus came, suffered, died, rose, and ascended so that he might pour out the Spirit, that all his people might be baptized with the Spirit, that we, in being brought to him, might be brought together, and by the Spirit's power manifest his love in this world. And so, brothers and sisters, may we heed the Lord's call to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please bless this message that we may indeed be changed, that by your Spirit we would be desired and empowered and equipped to serve one another 
and serve your people in our community better. In Jesus' name, amen.